I am Citizen 44. Thank you for coming back into the store. I want to show you some new items that came in this week. I'm so excited. You know, all of them are beautiful and very economically priced. Please come over here. These are stainless steel stackable rings. Are they not beautiful or what? You can get silver, you can get black, you can get plain bands, you can get bands with things and carvings and jewels on them. So beautiful. By the way, did you see the bulldog out front, the ceramic bulldog? He's so beautiful. The children love him. They come by, they pet his head. Everybody wants to take a picture. Come to Paris Green, 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon, or check us out on Facebook. It's the grooviest place in town. I would not lie to you because I am not a liar. See you soon. Bye-bye.
everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 46. We have a lot on today's show. Three fabulous females, starting with my sister, Rachel Sunday. I haven't spoken to Rachel in a long time, and uh, we have uh, reunited, and it feels so good. Yeah, that's right. I sang that just now. So uh, Rachel's going to talk about her project, The Power of a Shower, uh, where she is uh, orchestrating this incredible undertaking to outfit buses with showers, bathrooms, and changing rooms like uh, mobile hotels. So some of the uh, homeless population in Los Angeles can uh, get a hand up, get cleaned up, feel a little bit better about themselves. So that's really exciting news, and uh, she's going to share that with us. And then we have Joanna Friedlander. Joanna has a, uh, a beautiful service called Phoenix Rising Holistic Therapy right here in Phoenix, Oregon. So she's going to tell us about that. And then we have Yu Yang. Yu is this uh, fabulous woman that I met several years ago, and uh, really didn't connect all that much then, but... She did a little pop into Paris Green, and there began some fun. A very high-level, high-vibrational click, if you will. So uh, she's going to talk about her things and her stuff. What's happening? School's out, man. School's out for summer. Both my kids are on summer vacation. I think they're kind of just easing into it. I asked my son today what he was doing, and he said nothing. He's kind of bored playing video games, but I think that's his intent for a little while is just kind of chill. He graduated from middle school, so he will be joining his sister at Ashland High School next year. And that's pretty exciting. Zoe, I'm sure, is happy to be homework free. I haven't spoken to her yet since the last day of school, but I hope we connect soon, have a little meal. After graduation, Sam and I and his mother, Valerie, my former spouse, went to Vim Thai restaurant in Medford. Uh, a favorite stomping ground of the kids and myself. That's what's happening with the family. The world is doing what it's doing. Oh yeah, how about that song? Quite the rocker, I would say. One of my favorite songs from uh, a 1979 self-titled album called The Motels. Oh yeah, I got permission to use it because I'm buddies with Martha Davis now, who's going to be on... Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg. Okay, here we go. It is Joanna, right? It is Joanna. Okay. What is the name of your practice? Internal Family Systems. I-F-S. I-F-S. And what does that mean? Internal Family Systems is a developed psychotherapy by Richard Schwartz. Nice Jewish cat. What did he do? (laughs) He discovered that people have different parts to them. And if you actually get to listen to each of those parts, you can create a space of peace. Someone might have a voice that says, oh, I'll go yell at your daughter. She's not picking up her clothes again. And then she might go yell at her daughter. And then she'll hear something in her head that's like, oh, you piece of dirt. How could you be so mean to your daughter? It's almost like two different parts of you dialoguing inside. So what he also discovered was if you just give the floor to a part of you to get to know okay, what's the voice that yells at your daughter? And then it's like, well, I want her to, you know, have her stuff together and 
I want her to do better. I want her to have her life together. And then you get to know the other part that says, yeah, but you can't be mean to her. And like that only makes her angry at you. And you're just mean, mom, you're bad. But if you get to know them from a place of non-judgment, which Dick Schwartz refers to as self energy, which is very spiritual, actually, you don't have judgment and you see them for what they really are. Whereas if you get to know a part of you from a part of you that judges that part, you don't actually see it for what it is, right? So if that part of me that says, go yell at your daughter, and then if I get to know that part from the other part that judges it, I never see it for who it is. Right. My God, mean mom, you're just a piece of crap. And then you have inner conflict and pain, guilt and shame, criticism, and then guilt on top of the criticism. Because we can witness parts of ourselves from a distancing aspect, which doesn't necessarily have the heart that can actually bring healing sometimes, right? So, for example, a distancing part is a typical part. You get to see things objectively. However, it usually accompanies feelings of, of numbness or apathy, which helps us cope with not having to feel pain. But also we could feel numb or, you know, and not really uh, full of compassion for somebody. So... The place of self, it's grounded in compassion, and it's not as much objective as it is desiring to bring healing, but not with an agenda, not with a push, just mm-hmm. with a, like, a seeking to understand, which is that open space in the heart of compassion. So how did you get into this line of work? Very earnestly. I was actually in desperate need of my own healing. And when and why? About two years ago, I was living up in Ithaca, fell in love with my roommate, it was such a difficult situation. It brought up all these Did you say you fell in love with I your roommate? I fell in love with my roommate. So you had a male roommate. I did. Which was not a romantic no. escapade to begin <laughs> with. Not un- at all. Unexpected. Yeah. And yeah, okay. And um, just his energy, you know, toward having feelings with, for me too, but withdrawing and trying to, you know, take space really set off some triggers of, of wounds for me that I wasn't even fully aware of but it sent me into this space inside of why when I love someone does this happen to me like what is this so I would sit in meditation in my bedroom and just calm myself and then I I did a workshop and met this woman like a you know personal work workshop and I shared with her a little breakthrough I had around guilt feeling like as if I did something so unforgivable I would never have the love that I needed or wanted and I had this breakthrough on my own that There's nothing anybody can ever do that's unforgivable. It's a lie. Even if I did something bad, like, what the heck? So I had this self-forgiveness, self, you know, just beautiful energy toward myself. When I shared this breakthrough with this woman, she goes, have you ever heard of internal family systems? I was like, no. She's like, you would love it. So I did a little Googling, found a book which teaches you how to do it on yourself. Bought that book right away. Built up the, the courage and readiness over a couple of weeks. Started reading it. And before I could even finish the first chapter, I mean, everything in me was ready to do this work. Every trigger was like, oh, when you have a trigger, go sit in your bedroom or something, do a session on yourself. It took me two hours. It doesn't necessarily have to, but it was incredible. It would be nice if we didn't have to go see anybody and we could learn how to self-heal. Absolutely. And that's also what I love about IFS is that it's, I wouldn't say necessarily it's the only healing modality like this, but it's strikingly empowering because as Dick Schwartz would say, you know, after helping somebody heal over the course of three years of seeing them at the end of it, she said, you're a great therapist, but I feel like I, I did this on my own. 
And he was like, you did. He was holding the space to get her into that compassionate space inside herself to get to know all these aspects of herself from, and make them feel safe and understood for the first time. Yeah. How old are you? 30? Two. 32. 32. Are you from this area? I'm not. I'm from New York. When did you come to Southern Oregon? About eight years ago. Me and my partner wanted to explore living out in the West, and his dad had property in Phoenix next to Talent. You still with yeah. this person? No. But, but I they got here. you here. Yes. No, no. I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a common story. What happened with the dude you were living with? Is that the guy? The dude I was... Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> what ended up happening with that? Oh, did you ever no. let that person know your feelings? I did. I did when he moved out. And? He had similar feelings. He was also very young and much more afraid of love than I was. Do you still speak to that individual? Very rarely. I mean, maybe once a year on Facebook. Clearly instrumental in some part of your development. Yes. It was just a perfect catalyst for me to do my own exploration. So you've been doing this two years now? Yeah, now I would say maybe two and a half. Yeah. You're in Phoenix? I live in Medford. But your practice is in Phoenix? No, it's Medford. It's in my home. So you came here and you were how old when you got here? I'm 25, 24 maybe. And what did you do when you got here? I was farming. We had a nine acre property and I cleaned houses and I grew food and cleaned houses and I grew food. That was pretty much the cycle. Yeah. How was that? It was hard. The relationship was hard. The isolation was hard. He was very antisocial and so we could never go and do anything. Or if I did without him, then he would feel even worse. It was hard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so there might have been a compatibility issue from the get-go. Oh, yeah, it was challenging. Well, how did you get together to begin with? I met him at a program of AMAs. Do you know AMA? No. Typically, when you say AMA, even around just these parts, a lot of people have heard of her. She's Mata Amrita Nandamai. She's a hugging saint. She's known as the hugging saint. No, I should know who she is. I'm right? The, I'm the hugging master. Are, Are you? Kidding? Oh, yeah. Oh, we should hug I'm her. super good at that. <laughs> But you know this is a hugging community, right? I call it Hugland because I can walk down the street and get an abundance of love that's pretty ridiculous. So you were born on the East Coast. Long Island. Long Island. Long Island. Long Island. Why don't you talk like you're from where you're from? I don't know. But when I was on Long Island, people thought I was from Europe. As soon as I went away to college on Long Island, they thought I was foreign. And I was like, what? I don't have an accent. They're like, yeah, exactly. You don't have a New York accent. I was like, what? (laughs) I didn't know that. Are your parents still there? Uh, yeah. Are they together? Mm-hmm. Ah, there's a miracle right there. It is. How'd that happen? Odd. How long have they been married? Oh, my god. At least 32 years. 43 years. And do you miss back east? It's beautiful in the summer. Yeah. it's just beaches. Yeah. And they're warm. Unlike Oregon, you can go swimming. I've never been to Long Island. I've been to New York, no. but never Long Island. So you were born in what year? 85. So you have one brother? Mm-hmm. Where's he? He's in Long Island. So okay. is my sister. And what do they do? He is a software engineer and she's a massage therapist. Oh, so that's kind of... Oh, yeah. We're a little... We're vibe. Yeah. My sister. Older, so younger. They're both older. How'd you do in school over there? Did pretty good. When I went away to college, I started getting more friends of like minds. I went to live in Boston. Where'd you go to college? Stony Brook University. Sonia Brook? Stony Brook. Stony Brook. <laughs> Sonia Brook. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was some ladies' college. Sounds great. Yeah. How was college for you? College was good. That's when I started opening up to the world. My mother was a little sheltering, afraid to let me go camping or... Were you raised by Jewish parents? No. Okay. Italian. Same thing. (laughs) It's all the same. Guilt is guilt. But out of so much love, she was afraid. And also, I was her baby, so... 
I did a beautiful internship on the east end of Long Island where there's some farmlands. And uh, that really opened me up to the world. I was like, oh my God, I could work on an organic farm. And then the next year I did an internship in Massachusetts at Earthlands. And uh, they have spiritual retreats, environmental courses there. And that further opened me up. And Are you still into the farming thing? I always love to farm and grow food. What were your uh, parents doing back in the day? My mother was a, I want to say she was like a, a medical aide or assistant, and then she she became a nurse and she got her RN. What was your dad doing? He worked for Northrop Grumman, helping sell airplanes, hearts, and Okay. Yeah. So you were what, like a yeah. typical middle class family, mm-hmm. essentially? Yeah. All right. And what was it like to grow up in that area as a child? The most beautiful memories I have that really stand out to me is this summer. We go to the beach or the pool every day. My mom was great like that. We were outside. Wintertime's different. It snows. Right. Yeah. But a lot of people, you know, there's 7 million people on Long Island. How big is the island? You know, that's a great question. I was thinking about that. I don't know, but it's crowded. Well, it's got to be big enough to hold 7, seven million people. Yeah, that's including Queens, but that's still on Long Island. Oh, I didn't realize Queens was I Long know. Island. Because I'm a Seinfeld junkie. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was just another part of Queens, New York. Yeah, I That's know. not the case. It's actually on Long Island, but it, it feels like you're in the city. Okay. When you get to Queens, but it's technically on the island. Okay. And that's what ups the population. Like, Okay. So know. Queens is big then. I mean, it's just, you know, apartment complexes, like, you know, The Costanzas did not live in an apartment. They lived yeah, in a house, okay? True. I mean, it was a fake house, but it was still a house. It was a house. You know, Seinfeld grew up in uh, Massapequa. I know that. My mother grew up in Massapequa. Really? Yeah. They My lived... sister lives in Massapequa. Now? Yeah. The Baldwins lived in Massapequa, Probably, too. Probably, yeah. So you're in Medford, uh-huh. and uh, you have a new partner, and that's all going well. Mm-hmm. How yeah. long have you guys been yeah. together? About eight months, I think. Oh, it's new. Yeah. Oh, you're still in the whatever phase. Honeymoon phase. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> yeah. And what's he do? Yeah. He works on a farm... You're doing your thing full time. Doing my thing. Okay. And how's the business flow for you? It's coming along. Well, you've got a couple years in now, right? Well, I actually had a couple years of studying. So you have not had your practice for two and a half years? No. How long have you had your practice? I want to say I finished my website in January, maybe. It's only May. Yeah. You're just starting. Yeah. Do you have any clients i've had clients that was before i was like formal official i was just like okay okay yeah i was a wilderness field instructor actually oh a while back and i went out there thinking i'm going to help these troubled teens i'll just help them connect to nature you know what i realized a few months in they couldn't connect with nature or care about it because they weren't caring about themselves they weren't connecting to their own heart what'd you do about that i cared about them deeply how did you help them By just doing that, hmm. actually carried a belief with me that I would never have known would have been so healing for them. But I believed that you're worthy of love no matter what you've ever done. And I, I really believed that. So when I, I went there and I was like, okay, that's my belief, just mine. I wasn't really taught that. I just truly believed it. So I was imbibing that. So when they would push buttons or, you know, just be really down on themselves, I would just hold that little candle inside and reflect that. Eventually, they would see that they had the candle too, dust it off, and we get close enough, and they'd light their candle, and they'd have that belief too. You know, I am, I am, I can't believe that. Somebody's actually, not just saying it, but believing it in action. I push their buttons, 
They still don't hate me, you know. And by the end of that program, it was like magic. It was, I had no idea that would impact people like that. And it was incredible. That's a tough thing to teach a person that everybody's worthy of love because people don't believe that's true because they don't really know what love is. So how do you teach them to feel that within mm-hmm. themselves and express that when they don't believe it's true Yeah, you show for them. themselves? You show them. Well, I think it was Tolstoy that said, if 10% of the population is passionate about something, the other 90% will follow. Yeah. But evidently that 10% is a hard <clears throat> number to raise. I mean, we're talking if there's almost 8 billion people on the planet, it doesn't seem like that many people have to really be in tune and and ready to make that leap. But it is a big number to get people to cooperate and collaborate in that area. Yeah. I think if, if someone's heart is awakened to that understanding that love is the most powerful force in the universe and that we are all worthy of it, there isn't anything you can do that can make you unworthy of it then all you do is walk around and you you emanate that and other people start lighting up right away. People get moved by the subtlest action of love when it comes really from that place. Absolutely and true. And then they're inspired to do that too. It's like this uh, this glimpse into eternity, into home. And it's the truest thing there is. So when someone gets a glimpse of truth, even if it gets put in the back of their mind over years, it's never going to be forgotten. Just know, just know that there's nothing you can do in this world that's unforgivable. There literally isn't a thing. If you really breathe that in every day, it means that if you have some pain there, you're worthy of healing it. You're worthy of $17 for a book. You're worthy of all these things, which before that belief starts getting instilled in you, you wouldn't even look at. It is a very painful paradigm to live in original sin i think you've already been told that you suck yes that's terrible you're already starting from a deficit yes and that there's nothing you can do that will ever be good enough to redeem yourself well that's a great (laughs) control mechanism for religion dude that's the whole reason behind that shit right there all you have to do to strip falsehoods away is imbibe the truth but what is the truth the truth is you are lovable beyond measure There is nothing somebody can do that's unforgivable. And I know that that sounds ridiculous. No, it doesn't, because I convinced my mother, who's Jewish, to feel sorry for Hitler. So, no, everybody's fucking forgivable. I was going to use it as an example. Oh, really? Interesting. Even someone like Hitler. Or Mussolini. Let's go Italian, okay? I mean, you're Italian. Anybody. Yeah. You know, and the only way people can forgive themselves is if you touch them on the back and you look out the battlefield with them and see all the dead bodies that they killed. And you say, it's okay. It's okay, though. And the person starts to go, oh, my God, I did that. And to feel that measure of, I'm so sorry, is okay. Whenever we make a mistake, to feel authentically like, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. But also, forgiveness, that's how you can actually be sorry. If somebody can't take accountability for something, if there is no forgiveness, the opening the doorway to self-forgiveness, forgiveness of your parents, anybody you have anger toward. The thing is, we have a society that looks to blame. Yeah. We look to blame. And as long as you look for the source, it's their fault. As long as it's somebody's fault. Well, that's what we're doing right now. You know, everybody complains about our political landscape. And I say, this is just a reflection of us. Yeah. We're still looking for the scapegoat. Yeah. Just anger at them. Like, right. You know, usually if you get beaten up as a kid by your parents or something, on some level, 
you may have, if you're graced with it, a level of compassion for them, but also feel angry. Right. And then the next step is, I'm not even angry anymore. Where did that come from from them? Like, right. you really start getting this perspective. Oh, they were abused? But you keep following it, and maybe you go to your great-grandparents. Well, where does that end? Mm. So at some point, we have to say, I don't need to look for someone to blame. I need to know there was a reason they did it. It came from pain. I actually met a girl at one of my trainings who went to another training, which, which teaches you specifically legacy burden healing. Legacy burden is when it's been handed down to you. So this girl actually had something going on that had never happened to her in her subconscious. When she started doing the healing on that, she discovered this whole memory which had never happened to her. So she brought healing to it mm. and then shared that with her parents because it came up in a legacy burden retreat. And her parents said, you should talk to your grandmother. It ended up that that very thing happened to her grandma. Wow. She had no idea, but wow. she was carrying the weight of it. Interesting. Yeah. See, that's so cool. Yeah. And it unburdens yeah. more than just you. Oh, yeah. It lets the whole family off the hook. Yeah, it does. I would say if we focus on doing that right where we are, even in that dumbing us down kind of education, there will be that percentage of people who are looking around going, what is going on here? Like me. I would say to those people, follow that intuition. Those are the people who are the catalysts of evolution. That's right. Joanna, how does yeah. somebody find you and uh, find out more about you and connect with you? I have a website called Phoenix Rising Holistic Therapy. PhoenixRisingHolisticTherapy.com. I'm also on Facebook, so you can look me up, Joanna Friedlander or Phoenix Rising Holistic Therapy. Cool. Yeah. You have any parting words for the people? Just don't forget who you truly are, because that person who you truly are can save you from who you're not. Hmm. Perfect. Thanks, Joanna. I really appreciate you coming in to do the show. It's a pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank Cheers. you, Mark. So we met about five years ago. Is that what it was? <laughs> five years ago? In talent? Could be. We did. Briefly. I yeah. went to go visit Inger Jorgensen. Yeah. And you guys were sharing art studio space. Yes. And then you were there. And I think we spoke for just a few minutes. Yes. And I looked at your art. I do remember your art. I really enjoyed your paintings. Thank you. And then the other day, you just popped in at Paris Green. Yeah. And it was a pretty unique uh, meeting. Everything's the right timing. Everything is timing. Yeah. Did you realize that when we met earlier, and then we, we can't talk anything more, the thing's not there. And then last time we met, like a few days ago, everything clicked quickly without even anything had to be explained. That's true. You don't have to try hard. Yeah. Before, we had to try a lot harder. Well, you were in a different place at the time. I was in a different place. Yes, absolutely correct. And we were different people at the time. Yes, that's absolutely correct. So we needed to meet now because this is who we are now. Yes. And there's a different mutual appreciation. Yes, yes. Yeah. You're good, by the way. Huh. I, I normally don't say this. Huh. I think you're good, too. Well. <laughs> is this what you were wearing the other day, similarly? Kind of. Is this some kind of traditional well this is like a little bit of indian tradition okay like this is like an indian things right yes beautiful really thank beautiful you. Thank i like you. your little uh sparkly this stuff. is just something randomly i have okay well it, it's working for me yeah it looks intentional yeah yeah very intentional yeah. everything's the intention yeah <laughs> so how long have you been in ashland 
Uh, you mean this area? 21 years in this okay. area. And you came from? Tokyo. That's a big change. Huge change. Yeah. Yes. Do you miss Tokyo? No. Did you like Tokyo? Oh, I did. I went there to did what I need to do, and then I finished it. And perfect. I want to move to here. How did you find out about Ashland? I came here with my ex-husband, and yeah. then I instantly just love this town. This town is just like making me feel I'm going to miss this place. Yeah. So then I said, I would love to move here from Tokyo. How did you find Ashland? Well, he came from here. He oh, he's here. from Ashland. Yes. Okay. And yeah. he brought you here from Tokyo? Yes. Did much. he meet you in Tokyo? Yes. Okay. Was he just visiting? No, he was living there in Japan for 12 years, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Was he a Japanese he's man? He's American. Ah, okay. And you're not married anymore? No. Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, no, I was married too. It seems like everybody was married, especially yeah. this town. Yeah. This is a huge divorce town. I think everywhere's divorce town. No, well, it's just only I, this place? No, 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 no. It is. But I'm just saying there's an unusually high concentration. Every man that I know is it since I've been here is divorced. Yeah, pretty much. I think everybody get divorced. There may be two friends that I have left in 15 years that are still married. And they're a super couple. And they will never get divorced. Well, those I'm, are the ones meant to be together forever. Well, that's it. So yeah. if that's the case, if everybody's getting divorced except a few, uh -huh. what's wrong with marriage? Well... That's a good question. If you want to ask me the serious question about marriage, for me, if I meet the right person and never get divorced, if I can redone this again. Right. But the point is, I was not mature enough to be able to do it. Right. You know, that's only the real problem. It's The whole thing is about emotional maturity. Yes. And most of us are so undereducated, we do not belong in serious relationships. We're not we don't know what to do with it. We're not qualified for it. We're not. That's no, what we mess around that's with. That's exactly it. correct. <laughs> I don't even think boys and girls should be in school together. No. I don't think we should be in no. high school together or middle school. Too distracting. No. Yeah, it is. I mean, the kids right now, they didn't understand that what is their relation really is about. They're, they kind of copy their adults a little bit. Which is terrible because our parents yes. are not good teachers, no. most of them. No, no, our parents not good teacher, and we didn't end up a good teacher. And how do you expect our kids to be a good Well, kid? that's it. At some point, and I feel with me anyway, you have to break that generational problem. Yes. It's up to you as an adult, if you feel you're uneducated, figure out how to educate yourself. Yes. Until we can educate people properly from the beginning. Yes. And then hopefully that's part of the evolutionary process is they'll have kids and they'll be just a little bit smarter. Yes. You know the funny part? Mm. We think that we're doing our best. But after we're looking back, we realize, oh no, we didn't know better. Well, we didn't know. We didn't know. And that's the sad thing. You know, this is why I have compassion for everybody and love everybody is because we don't know. You can't be mad at someone that, for not knowing. Oh, my God. That's exactly right. The compassion definitely is from there. You, yeah. People really don't know. They don't know. So you can't get mad at them. They you can't. have to love them and help them find out. Oh, that's, that's it. Absolutely. So if you do that, yes. then they know because yes. then you can have a certain level of expectation on people once they have the skills. If they don't apply them or leverage their intelligence... Then you have to figure out, okay, there's another problem there. They should know to do better, but they don't. Why are they not inspired to do well? Yes. So that's another emotional thing, typically, where there's trauma or something in there where they're not fully executing themselves. Yes. Which is hard for people it's to not hard. fully be themselves. No, actually, it's really hard. Watching people suffering is hard, too. It is. So you're a painter. Yes. Where do you paint? 
at my studio. Where's your studio? Right by my house. I live in Medford. Okay. How do you like Medford? I like it everywhere. I live in Medford first when I move here. Yeah. And then I moved to Jacksonville. And then I moved back to Medford. People talk about, oh, Ashland's better. Jackson was great. Medford sucks. But actually, that's not the truth. It totally depends on perception. If you're happy, you see everywhere is happy. Sure. If you're not happy, nowhere is happy. No, it's true. You that's, can be happy anywhere. Yes. It's all in your mind. Yes. Yeah. That's how I recognize it. How long were you married? 14 years. Oh, that's a pretty good run. You believe the number? 7 plus 7, 14. 14 is a pretty big number. Well, that's twice because, isn't this called the seven-year itch? Yeah, seven-year so plus seven. you got through two itches. Yeah, you're passing two. That's pretty decent. Yeah, that's really good. Yes. I made it 26 years. You did? Yeah. 26 years. That's a long time. Yes, it is. You tried really hard. I did. Doesn't mean I should have been there in that you're marriage right. to begin with. That yes. was just stupid. But I wanted to make it work. But I, too, was not emotionally mature enough to be in a committed full-time relationship like but that. But do you realize that we all kind of want to be loyal? Everybody wants to be Everybody loyal. Everybody wants to be loyal. They just don't know how. We just don't know how. You right. know, the thing is, they have so much conflict emotion beside of us, so we right. can't help it. And you have to be true to yourself at the same time you want to choose the others. This right. is really quite conflicted emotion behind there. And just think about it. Even when we get married and go through the whole ceremonial vow thing, you're promising to do something that you can't promise to do. Yes. So you already failed. You already lied from the beginning. They've told you that you need to do this, and you say, I do, I will, when you really can't. But I think for the people who truly understand that what is love is a mean, then they won't, they won't be that way. Because the reason we're finding the lover to be together is because either we're lonely, we need somebody to be there, we have that desire, want to be with that person, just to make us feel good about something. Right. That's really the a downfall from there. Because we have so much expectation from the other person to fulfill with our missing part. Right, which is impossible. That's, that's what the failure is about. Well, and loneliness is a piece of emotional immaturity too. Yes, but that's the harder one. Well, that's figuring out how to be super happy by yourself. And then once you can do that, you can be happy with anybody. Do you know how difficult that is? I spent the last 15 years being happy with myself so I can be happy with everybody else. <laughs> it's not easy, right? No, it's been fantastic work. It's the best job I've ever had. The best job you could have is being the best version of you you can create. Yes. Well, we had to be all love for ourselves first. Until right. then, we can never love anybody else. But just think about that. Our children are not taught anything about that. That's what I thought about this. I thought about that school should be have this teaching. Yes. Well, just fundamental now. human yeah. behavioral, unavoidable, avoidable situations. I mean, school should be like teaching you how to be a scientist for yourself. Yes, and I also think schools should have a meditation class. Oh, I totally agree. They were giving yoga classes at the middle school. Right here in Ashland? Yeah, and, uh, oh. and I was very happy that That's uh, really good. Uh, Mr. Retzloff, the principal, was doing that. The problem is about what we learned from the school is um, we barely use what we learned. They need to let kids learn what they really into learning something so they can be excellent about it. And they have to get excited about it. They have to get excited about it. And then the whole life can be guiding them with their excitement. And the energy behind it is really strong. So they actually can achieve more. Literally. They need grounding. They need to be able to go within so inside themselves and be with themselves. It's the most important thing. Yeah. And they have no idea what that means. They yes. don't know. They don't know. But you know what? Right now, at this point, they don't even need to have to know. Just as long as the principal in the school support this thing, yeah. the kids will adapt with it. And they will feel it. Yeah. This thing is like a, 
It's almost you had to do it first, then you know what's going on. Right. If you tell them what is going on, they don't really want to believe in that because they haven't been able to get that exposed. Even the parents haven't even get that right. level yet. Yeah. So you cannot educate the kids that way. Also, I think if they do have a, a class for the meditation, let's say give kids the freedom just choosing that class, you can see the dramatic change. For the kids do the meditation class compared to kids doesn't do it, you can see the big difference oh, sure. already. Of course. Their whole behavior patterns will be Yes, different. everything changes. And I think the parents should be knowledge about that, supporting that too. Yeah, but parents are not part of it. As a matter of fact, the three years I was at the school, I went to school every day like I worked there. I didn't get paid. Every day I went to school as if it was my job. And the principal told me in 10 years of him being there, I am the only parent in 10 years who showed up to school. Wow. So that's not good. They're not going to the school. They're not showing that they care about their education. It's a babysitting service they drop them off to so they can go do their jobs and do their thing. And then they all meet up again in the end. Well, you know, actually the school system is so important. It's more important than the parenting. It's the most important thing that we have as a tool to create high quality human beings. Yeah, we do And we care. don't treat it like it is the fundamental thing yep. that is gonna bail us out of every problem we have, yep. literally. Yes. Every problem. We do not teach children about avoidable behavior problems. We don't teach them about the unavoidable, the natural laws of the universe. We don't teach them any of these things which prevent them from having to suffer needlessly. Yes. Not one thing do we show them, nothing. Yeah. They have no fundamental basis for yep. what it takes to be a happy, reasonable human being. Yes. So they aren't happy and they're not reasonable because we're not teaching them how to do that. It's like Charlie Brown's parents. Yeah. Remember Charlie Brown's yeah. parents? Wah, 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 wah. That's what kids hear now. Yes. So they're just going through the motions and the result is you have more unhappy human beings. Yes. Then they're breeding and they're having more unhappy human beings. Oh, yes. So it's a perpetual cycle of insanity really is what it is it is we need really highly intelligent loving people to show us what to do well you know not everybody can do the job that's why not everybody should do the job like even plato said the person who's going to be some kind of a leader should not want the job mm -mm. take that ego out of the job and yes. you're going to get a qualified person who's going to work their ass off for somebody yes if you want that job you should not have that job yes and that's the one you want, the one who doesn't feel they're worthy of the job, but they're the best qualified to do the job. Well, I think the real problem is people confuse about ego concept. This is a really, really big issue because it doesn't matter what we claim about ourselves. We can entitle with everything. And an ego is, is something we actually had to be aware. It's not about bad criticism or what is, because the awareness requires that person pay attention all the time. How many people really truly pay attention? There was a girl working at Mix. She had that tattooed in Hebrew on her shoulder. Most nobody's paying attention. Yes. They're paying attention to that phone. Yes. They're not paying attention to their brothers and sisters walking around and all the stuff that's happening. Yes. They can't even see it. Yes. You can't see what you don't pay attention to. Yes. This is the real thing. If we talk about spirituality, this is the thing. Spirituality is not about entitled this thing, that thing. It's about awareness. Yeah. And feeling and being a part of the experience. It's so fascinating. You know, people are missing out so much. I really feel sorry for them. Yes. They don't know how unbelievable this thing is. They're not seeing the whole picture. 
which you can't even see the whole picture. It's a vastly endless, yes. multi-dimensional experience. And we're looking at this top layer, this one dimension. And I think that's another reason we're suffering is we're not really getting deep into it. It's a very surface level thing we're doing. Yes. And so that's why a lot of people want to check out. It's boring and it's predictable. Yes. And Actually, uh, the confusion is the really big deal. Because when people confuse, there's nothing you can do to solve that problem. The thing is, it's funny. When people suffer a lot, they can't bear it anymore. Those are the people actually start seeking out the solution. So as long as they still, still feel like a semi-happy, they don't want to do anything with it. They want to stay with that state. They don't want to change. And they're actually really afraid about changing. We do change every single second, but we just never pay attention to changes. So we don't really know. And even looking in the mirror, we look in a mirror very utilitarian. We're not really looking at ourselves. No, we're judging. It's, it's judging. Yeah. When's your birthday? November 5th. Oh, we're close. What's your birthday? 19th. November? Yeah. Oh, no wonder. My daughter is November 7th. Wow. My ex-wife is November 11th, 11-11. Wow. And my son is February. Wow. But a house full of Scorpios and one Pisces. No wonder. <laughs> right. Most Scorpio people that I know are a little different. It's different? Yeah, I know. I, I feel know. like the Scorpio is kind of interesting. I do notice that. A little that. wacky. They are. They have their signature. They have their personality. They have a lot of things going on there. For sure. I can recognize them, feel them. When were you born? 1965. And where were you born? In China. Where in China? Jinzhou, a small town. You have family there still now? Yeah, my parents are still there. They're still alive? Yes. Sweet. Yes, my brother's there too. How often do you go back? Haven't go back at all. You've never been back? Three years. No, this year gonna be four years. I haven't go back. Do you like it there? Well, every time I go there, I would enjoy in there, but I don't like the pollution they have right yeah. now. And then also, I don't like the people who are now too much in the capitalism's ideas about everything. So people are, they're not really settled down. They're not really, how do I say it? They're just not really calm. They're too much agitated. It's the internal suffering. You can see the person. You can feel the energy just from the whole environment. How are your parents doing in it? My parents are doing good. Good. Because one year, I think I went back for months and a half, and then I spent time with my mom, and then I literally just brainwashed her, which is she leaving the depression mode in herself, but I had to power down my energy for her because mm -hmm. she needed that. Before I leave the day, she tells me, I got it. She said, I'm not longer drag and being negative. That's wonderful. Yeah, she understand. Yeah. Because she understand how much I actually cared. I'm like a too honest to care. I'm not caring by the surface level. I caring with the deeper level. Yeah. I ask her serious questions. So and then she starts thinking something. Does she have nowhere to run? Well, it's confrontational. Yes. But I, in a good way. I yes. mean, you can't get person to think about what they need to think about unless you confront them yes. on what they're thinking about. That's exactly what it is. I do that with my parents all the time. Yeah. You know, they kind of play with you. And then when they play with you, because their mind is not in control, they don't know what they're thinking. They're right. just looping out themselves. Right. So if you don't lead in that direction, they're just going to loop you out. And if you, we can think about this as respect, but it's not really truly respect. You know, the sometimes... When people say, I'm older, you better respect me. That means you're going to listen to me, right? But actually, that's not the truth. You have to earn respect. There has to be a reason to respect you. Thank not, you. It's not automatic. You know, we should respect the children too. More we, so. We don't respect the kids. As a, somebody who's teaching, we should teach the people how to be independent to watching themselves. 
It's not about their right or wrong. Because if we just use label, the concept judging people, you have this disease, you have that disease, you literally condemn them. I always say myself, oh, I had ADHD. But time when I was like eight, nobody's called that ADHD. Right. I remember when I was in the class, when the teacher teaching the questions, I said, I know this, I don't want to listen. The second thing I know that the whole class, like our class, I would just take me five minutes, get it, and I will move away. I changed it. I know that a long time ago. I said, why would I listen to this thing the whole time? That was so young. We remember we talk about aliens. We always think about aliens, this, aliens, that, right? Mm -hmm. We're guessing about if aliens exist or not. The reason we're still humans, we're not aliens yet, because our education system is never really good at advanced. We're so behind. If we really want to know, understand the alien, we should become alien first by ourselves to understand what is the aliens is. How to be out of the box thinking something. Remember Einstein said that? You can't solve the problem with the same mind created. Right. That is big. The reason we're so slow, because we condemn young kids, the creativity, right? They were children. We had to really let them be the kids, free their creativity ability out. Think about the teacher. What the teacher can teach? The art you can't teach an art to the children. You kidding me? Are you really trying to teach kids like the art? If you do, you're gonna kill their creativity right the moment they started. Just help them watching them, let them be free to explore that creativity, you yeah. know? And that's what we're children's about. The children supposed to be play. Until we all of adults, we recognize that, this is gonna be hard. You know who need to be educated? The teacher. The truth had to come out more. We can't cover the truth. David Hume was a philosopher back in the early days. He said the greatest line ever, the truth is unpopular. Yes. And that's the bottom line. Yes. So if it's not popular and, <laughs> and, and lies are popular. Yes, lies are popular. Well, you're going to be in a whirlwind of shit the rest of your life. Well, you know, the funny part is everybody knows the lies and they're still smiling and lying right in front of everybody else. Yeah. It's fascinating watching that thing happen. And you know, there's another thing I think when people can't feel, that's a tough one. It's all analytical in the mind. It's nothing to feeling. They block the whole heart. Because open heart is really scary. It's of painful. Of course it is. Vulnerability it's is very the most vulnerable. beautiful thing there is. Yeah. But people don't even know what it is. Yes. The people who are dying actually is teaching are the people who are alive a lesson right there. But because everything we do is temporary and fleeting. Yes. We don't take it in. Yes. We have a very short window of what they call grieving. That you can just get over it and get on with your life. And we don't learn anything about that. Yes. Nothing. Yes. It's a pretty tough one. This is pretty it's tough. It's tough. Really, the main reason I do this show is so I can talk about the things that people need to know. And then once in a while, someone can get turned. Yes. And it only takes one turn because that person who got turned, mm -hmm. they're going to turn somebody else. Yes. And that's evolution. It is. They told two friends. There's nothing more complicated than that. This is actually the real work. It is the real work. That's yes. waking people up. I did a show with uh, Mark Reinfeld, who's one of the world's foremost vegan chefs and teachers. Mm -hmm. And he told me he was in a grocery store and he ran into a friend and their granddaughter. Mm -hmm. And the granddaughter said something about, oh, we're going to get some meat for dinner. And Mark said, oh, I, I don't eat meat. And she said, why don't you eat meat? And he said, because I love animals. She didn't know they were animals. Oh, she didn't even know she, that know she that was, was eating. No, no one told her. Wow. And that's it. That withholding of information, mm -hmm. that not connecting the dots, because if they taught that in school, that we're eating 
our relatives. Yeah. We would never do that. No. We don't do cannibalism anymore. Mm -mm. Why would we eat any other of our family members? That's ridiculous. Yes. We eat meat because it tastes good. There's no other yeah, reason. Yeah, there's no other reason. Nothing. No, no the health reason, they talk about it, protein everything, is like a really, uh, this is pretty rooted, that thing. People always think about uh, eating meat because they say, oh, if I don't eat meat, I my body's wrong. There's so many people not eating meat for so many years all over the world. Some of the top athletes now are vegans, and they're showing us the way that you can be a ripped athlete yeah. and never put that in your body and be way healthier on a plant-based diet. It's actually your body's lighter. There's another positive side to think about this. How you can become master? Become master is everything come from you. Old your daughter? 21 and 19. Oh, you have two daughters? Yes. Where are they? They're both in college. Where? Where is in Colorado, one in the Eugene. Yeah. How are they doing? They're doing excellent because you know the way how I teach them. I teach them independent. So they literally use their own conscience to decide what they need to do, what they don't need to do. So I don't really run after them. They're taking their time to enjoying, to experiencing. Oh, good. I actually thinking when you are internally become pure, understand, have awareness going on with you, you understand about life, the age just reverse. All my friends look exactly the same as they did when I moved here. Exactly. <laughs> so I do think that there's a certain level of happiness in this environment here uh -huh. and that people feel good about themselves mostly, even though mm -hmm. they're still looking on the outside for all their stuff. Yes. But people look like they feel good. Yeah. And so if you look good, there is something to your internal to mechanism yes. that is projecting <laughs> you physically on the outside. Yes. So that's kind of cool. That's another reason I love this place is there is a youthfulness to it. I mean, I feel better now than maybe ever. My entire life. That's actually the truth. Because internally, we do feel better than before. Right now, i discovering the self. Not myself, the self. So this is like the best thing ever happened. So when did you leave China? Mm, 1993, I say. Where did you go from there? Japan. Okay. So what do you do every day? You paint? What do you do? Do you have to work? Spontaneously, everything happens. Do you have a job, per se, like people Everything do? is a job or not no, a I job. Do you have to get up and go punch a clock somewhere? I don't. But don't get me wrong. When I was 20s, I did lots of those. I did the import-export business. Your own or somebody else? I work in different companies. That time when I was 20s, I never really had a party. I don't know what a party means. Never really know the concept about party or huh. drinking. I didn't know anything about it. Huh. All I did just work. That's why I never really understand why people had to drink. But the funny part about drinking, I didn't, I, I, I tried to understand American culture to hear why people had to drink, even the college. The kids are drinking like crazy. So I really want to understand that what is this drinking come from? Why is this way? I don't understand that. This is something really interesting. I just try to understand this culture. Seems like I have to drink alcohol or something. If we don't, it seems like it's not fit in or something. Is this culture being happened like a long time ago? Alcohol has been in American culture since the beginning. When people were poor and had nothing, they would try and satisfy themselves through this chemical addiction. And maybe it made them feel better for a minute because they forgot their troubles. And it's very dangerous. College drinking is absolutely insane. It's out of control. How could the law control everything else and not control the college drinking? The police doesn't even care. It's legal. Why would that can be legal like that? I don't, I don't get it. Well, isn't that how you control people? You keep yes. them stupid and drunk? Yeah. This country is in its immature phase. We're a very young country, 
and we're still acting. Oh, talk about young country. This is really interesting. We are. We're babies. In, we're in baby the rest country, of the world. aren't we? Yeah. It's embarrassing, right? Yeah. We're just a bunch <laughs> of fucking immature babies, <laughs> and the rest of the world now knows it too. Yeah, it's, it's embarrassing. But we are young. Yeah. You know, this is something I feel. We have something good. We can combine cultures to make this place way beautiful. The fundamental ego ignorance is this country need to be really fully understand. You know, we can't change people when somebody's ready to learn. That's the time really truly learning anything anyway. What are your days like? How do you spend your time? Do you do yoga? Do you exercise? Oh, dude, yoga is every day. Sometimes I hiking a little bit. What's your diet? My diet is uh, like a vegetarian. I wouldn't say 100% vegan at this point. I'm not really eating habit. I'm still trying to just balancing the body, try to finding out how the nutrition balance out. Just feel them. Yeah, I'm yeah. not really judging them at this point. Still kind of navigating myself a little bit. So how often do you see your daughters? Whenever they have time. Do they come see you? If they have a, a, a little break, break yes, yeah. they will. But uh, our relationship is a little bit different. When they call me, usually they have some problems. They're happy they don't have to talk to me. I want to hear about your childhood. Oh, my childhood is, uh, is completely opposite. Of what Were you I in American. a village? I was growing up in village because I, when I was four years old, my mom sent me to my grandparents. She was too busy working and she had another child. That situation with my mother and father situation at the time is the communists just took care of China at that time. I think 1949 started it. So for me, that was a cultural revolution starts, 1965. And then everybody, every single person is super busy. There's no housewife. There's no housewife. My mother's working in the hospital. My father's working for the research center, whatever. So they absolutely have no time to watching their children. And then, so I'm already first one, the second baby born. So I have no space for me. So right. they sent me to my grandparents and my grandparents make more money and then give more time for me. You know, sound like I can eat better because the time when we're little, we don't have anything to eat. We were so poor. What I mean poor is we don't really have food. We don't have meat. I can have an egg when I had a birthday. That's a gift. Birthday kids get an egg on the birthday. And then guess what? And then my mom forgets sometimes. She doesn't even remember. So she sent me to my grandparents when I was four, which is like growing up. You know, I learned independent right away. I don't have a choice. Yeah. I really don't. I start learning the detachment we talk about right there I started with. So I don't have attachment because I know I'm always supposed to go somewhere, somebody. I'm not supposed to belong anywhere. So that kind of a personality I grown up and then I learned to cooking when I was like a sixth grade. When you grown up in China culture, you don't really have the American way. The kids are grown up earlier. Like when I was sixth grade, I learned how to take care of kids. I learned to take care of my brother, sisters. I know how to cook. And my mother will on duty in the nighttime shift, you know, whatever. She does, she's not home. I had to watch the kids too. So that's really young age. Yeah. So you learn that responsibility right away. And then the, the discipline. You know, that discipline is the point I want to share with you because I feel like uh, most of the children here doesn't have that discipline. And my age people, I'm talking about my age people. I'm yeah. not talking about the younger generation. Yeah. I'm just talking my age people. None of them had the experience like I did. And I usually relate with the American like a 80, 90 years old people because I can relate with them and I'm, I'm younger. But before I thought it was a negative, but right now, Actually, I see it as a positive oh, sure. because I have way better discipline. Like I give you an example about drinking. I never had alcohol when I was younger. So I, I started maybe tried alcohol like a 30 or 40 something. So I, I drink and it was fun, right? I was laughing and joking in a amused restaurant in Ashland. Oh, I remembered. Yeah. I was teasing the, the waiter. You're drinking you know, wine? Drinking, yeah, wine, yeah, you yeah. know. 
and then I was really fine and talking. And you never drank before I ne that? I, don't, I never drank that wow. before. Yeah. So I get a little drunk feeling, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, you know, I'm talking to the girl like a way outspoken. I'm already outspoken person. No, but now all your inhibitions are completely yeah. gone. Yeah. Guess what happened? The second day, I got up and I said, I got a headache. I said, what is this? You know, this is what happens after you drink a second, you get a headache. And then that, what I said, I said, I would never drink it again. And guess what? I never drink again. You never had any more alcohol after that? Done. One time? That no, was one it? One time. Wow. This Very is, impressive. This is my point to you. Why people here suffering more? Because they never even learn about discipline. For me to see about when we say something, we decide something, we got a minute and do it. I will keep my words for what I say. If I say I'm not going to drink it again, I mean it. Yeah. I'm not going to drink it again. We talk about alcoholism about the obese, everything, those all because the people being programmed. We can say, oh, we love the body shape is either fat or, or skinny, whatever. We put it in the, on the surface stuff, but put a bandage of something is completely not healed under the sickness underneath. We don't address that. Actually, right now, people lose weight and all that stuff is so easy to do. But you know, people don't understand that. Did you know how difficult for people get, people get sick by it? And if they understand how to lose weight, it's because the fundamental program they get in their head, they were just like everybody will lose weight like instantly. Did you know, this is such a big education. Think about how many products are being put out there to thought, oh, we can help you lose fat. When people truly understand what's going on, they can lose their weight like an instant. If you can cure underneath that problem, every single problem on the surface will solve. I feel like if you really want to truly help people like that, we literally needed that super strong energy force to erase all the negative thoughts, yes. period. Certain people are just about ready to think they can. You know, I had experienced this. When somebody really on the bottom, people actually literally on the bottom. I had experience. I had this one friend, actually he's not really my friend. He just somehow on the bottom, with me on the bottom of his life. And he ended up with me. So I kind of uh, helped him for three days. And then I literally just sh shift him. You know why? Hmm. Because when he's in the, in the bottom, no way, no way. You're right. It's, it's only like time to go guy. up. So he's all opened up. And then I just learned how to power down on that moment. So what we need people is, we need the people become vulnerable. And then when you truly become vulnerable, you were really learning the most valuable thing ever could in your life. And then you just start realize, oh my God, that guy who literally just changed like that. I mean, seriously, mm. he's told me one thing. He said, something he wanted to change for 15 years, he couldn't change it by the three days. I, I changed him mm -hmm. just like that. Actually, it's not that difficult. All we need people surrender with their ego. That's right. You know how tough that is. People don't want to let go. The reason people want to suffer is because they really want to suffer. I'm not sure you have the experience or not. I do. The, I learned my lesson. I've been supporting the victim mind people and then they would drag me down to the water. I can't, I can draw myself in there easy. I mean, it's okay. I learned my lesson. I learned if I want to stay strong to be able to help more people, I cannot drag in by one person. No. It's not because I'm selfish. Some people may feel like, oh, I'm so poor and right now I need the help and you don't help me and you're selfish. No, that's totally guilt trip. I understand it now. But before I was in the guilt trip for so long, I experienced the whole entire thing. It took me a long time to graduate from that lesson, by the yeah. way. I also want to share this with you. When I, the time I was trying to helping that the person, you know, I start seeing that it requires the people who help them 
absolutely have uh, the strength, not gonna be able to that's drag what, drag by that's it. That's right. So this is a deal for people. Actually, whatever people do, this is a negative energy and the positive energy thing going on. You know, they erase each other. You know, so whatever we try to do to help the people who are negative, you have to have a, so much more energy to be able to help. That's right. Otherwise, they they'll will crush drag. you too. Yeah, they will. Yeah. They will crush. That's why. Lots of people said, oh, I don't want to hang out with people negative, blah, 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 right? You remember? You hear yeah. people talk about that all the time? Yeah. So that's the real thing. But if you're so strong, the negative have no chance. Because our body language, our feeling expression is all energy. And they could have penetrating you easily if sure. you don't pay attention. Let's say if we still have some sort of flaws, haven't cured ourselves yet, and then when that person get something like hook there, we will feel that feeling. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful when people get something. Yes. Even for a split second that they can see a window of light, that they mm -hmm. get a little flash of something that they'd never had before. That's actually what it is. It's the flash of the light. Yeah. That's it. How did you do in school? I did it really well, but because I move a lot, you know, I keep changing my schools. Like mm. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them. I think it's all because of the Cultural Revolution. You know, in China, after communists control the government, they, they reverse all the rich people. So there's no rich and poor. We're all the same. And then, and then not only that, so they punish the people who actually were rich before. So I was like a, end up with the rich people's kids. Oh. My ancestors are kind of a sending my grandparents to Japan to educate it there, right. graduate from the college. That's, you had to have money to. So that was a bad thing because China and Japan have such an enemy from the war. So yeah. we end up like all bad people. <laughs> I was too. I was a little kid, but I was bad too. I was bad in the whole entire class. I remember when I was in the elementary school, there's not a single kid talk to me. Really? Yes. Why? Because I was the bad kid. What does bad mean? Bad means my grandparents is not right. They're graduated from Japanese. Even my grandparents have nothing wrong with it. They just had an education from Japanese college. But they just punished them. And then they punished them. And then I got punished too as little grandkids. So little. Oh, it's really big. Isolation from uh, people, crowds, that's huge. So I experienced everything since I was little kids. That's why I, who I am today. Actually, I can't even complain about it. I'm not saying I'm as a victim. I see as the experience training me so hard and making me be the tough one. I'm not afraid of dying or anything. I'm, I just had to do it. So that, that builds a personality like I'm just going to be walking the edge. You know, walking the edge, feeling mm -hmm. like I could fall anytime I want. I just had to go for it. So I feel like I want to get out of China since I was a kid, just so you know. That's the number one important thing you mm -hmm. need to know. When did your painting begin? After I get back to the U.S. That's another thing. This is a painting is all fun part. Van Gogh is my favorite person, period. The reason he is my favorite person is not because he's art so popular, so famous. It's because I read all his letter. His letter writing to the, his brother. Mm -hmm. I read all of that. And then he became the person I really like. Did you see the movie that came out, Loving Vincent? Oh. You didn't see I that? I didn't see that. One of the most beautiful films I have ever seen. Okay, I'll it's find that. It's his life story. They got a hundred people to paint every frame. Uh-huh. So the whole thing is a moving painting. Okay. In his style of painting. I saw it here literally the day before I left for Thailand. Uh-huh. And then I went to L.A. to hang out with my parents. And I took them to the movies to see it. 
Yeah. I was sobbing the entire time. My mother was crying during wow. the movie. She said she'd never seen anything like that in her life. Wow. And loving the Vincent. Loving I try Vincent. To find it. Especially since he's your guy. That's your guy. So when did you start painting? After I had a second child. I went to the college. What college? I saw, I saw you. And you took art classes? I did. Cool. Yeah. How old were you when you started? I think at 34. And what drew you to painting? Well, I went to the whole subject matters in the college. There's two things I was interested. One is a psychology. Mm. One is a painting. Mm. I can choose it because re going to college is different than when the time I was trying to do business. Of course. It's a different of expression. Yeah. So, and then I said, okay, let's take an art class first. If I pass that, then I keep going that one because I don't really know I'm supposed to be able to pass that art class or not. First art class is a figure drawing. I got an A. I was like, wow, this is easy. And let's do this, right? So I just started doing a whole bunch of figure drawing classes a lot. So, and then getting the creative class. Then I started seeing, I said, what? I suppose created something out of nothing. I said, oh no. That's the first time I realized this yeah, there's is there's no figure in front of me. You're now. right. There's no figure. There's no tree. There's nothing. I said like, what? That's really difficult. I start realizing how difficult that was. I'm not kidding. That's the most difficult class I ever take. Mm. I thought, okay, no. That class I got to be, just so you know. I couldn't do that better. I just don't know what to do. First time I realized I had to do something like that. And then I keep taking classes and I realized, hmm. So all the learning from art, teachers not really teach me what I thought they could teach me, right? If right. I had to create it by myself, then what that means? You know what I mean? Yeah. If we had to teach ourselves what that means. I mean, right. if we had to create it by ourselves, then I realized art is about creation on my own. <laughs> I graduated myself right there. Because, you know, I didn't try to get this plumber. I didn't try to get a degree. This doesn't mean anything to me. I said, let's go do it. And then I go find the real artist to learn lesson. The one abstract artist, Cliff. I remember my friend gave me a gift for his class. I said, okay, he's an abstract artist. And I learned a class from him. That's a kind of a break all the boundaries of me. Like, a, I really don't know what to supposed to do anymore. I'm strong. I'm yeah. not listening. I'm a, I'm a rebel. Yeah. First of all, I had to say I'm a rebel because when I was a little kid, you know how I grown up, right? I become a little rebel. I don't listen. I never listen. Nobody taught me anything because I shifting around everywhere. You know what that means? I don't listen. It means nobody teaches me. I learn by my own. So... I always had a process with my own way, and then I decide what to do. Then I make mistakes and I keep going that. Mm -hmm. I rolling that thing, it's a real deal, it's a real thing. There's nobody control my mind. If I make a mistake, I swallow it, I keep going. If I died and I died, that's exactly how I did growing up until now. That's why you can't really define me. So who are you? Where do you come from? I don't know. I really don't know. I'm not Chinese, I'm not Japanese, I'm not American either. I'm not anybody. I just not anything anymore. It just like it's all gone. I can't represent myself with anything because right. I really don't have it. Right. And then talk about the art, the same thing. I can't copy anybody's art either because it's just like gotta be my thing. What is my thing? I don't know. Let's do it. Let's do what that thing is. There's another thing I want to share. The big thing about ego, people don't understand. Ego actually really dangerous if we don't pay attention. They like a fire. They burn us. And that's a real thing, especially when we walk in a spirituality path. The normal ego state mind is the one survival level. People will just go cheating to get some benefit, get more money, you know, kind of stuff like that or whatever. The other stuff is in the material way we're talking about. Mm -hmm. When we talk about the spiritual level, 
is more damage in the spiritual level in with the ego state of mind. Right. That's another thing about our ego mind because when we achieve some power, like we, we reach our psychic, we, we can do this, we can do that. We've got so happy. I'm better than you. I'm already mm -hmm. so good. I know so much. The minute we have that kind of thing, it's already become another optical control us already. It's mm -hmm. already been blocked. So we literally had to break that go up. It's so much going on. It's fun. It is fun. Thank you a lot. I needed that. Well, I needed what you have too. All right. Till next time. <laughs>
all these things that I would have otherwise had to do the research myself, and they're actually providing me with a free training for two days here in Los Angeles. So I know how to do everything, and they give me all the tips, tools, and resources that I need to do it successfully. So I have a lot of support and a lot of backing just since I brought it up. I've had the Marina Del Rey Sheriff's Department reach out to me and tell me that they want to help any way they can. I've had Rotary Clubs, uh, locally Rotary Clubs, reach out to me. I've had a hotel reach out and want to donate towels. So I think we're off to a really, really good start when my 501c3 is actually filed, which I really hope is by their deadline date, which they say is June 12th. I'll be able to talk more and do more about it. But the biggest things I'm working on now are Mike Bonin, who is our city councilman, District 11, in my area. His biggest initiative as a councilman is uh, the homeless situation as well. So I've spoken to him personally through Facebook. I've spoken to his office, and I've been meeting with them. And then I got a call from the Chamber of Commerce today because they're aware of this endeavor that I'm taking on. And they had a meeting recently with Mike Fuhrer, who's our city attorney. So she patched me through to him directly so I don't have to go through any red tape or anything. And um, I'll be speaking with him tomorrow on how they can help as well and whatever kind of resources they have. It's been a busy, busy last few weeks, but I know it's all for the greater good. You know, I'm not trying to save the world, and I'm not trying to be a savior of anybody. I just know what it feels like when I get out of the bath or when I get out of the shower, and it feels good. And that's one thing you can count on when you get a shower is feeling good. And everybody does deserve to have that kind of dignity. These people are being turned away to use the restroom, so where are they going to use the restroom? But maybe right outside that restaurant or that retail establishment. So we're hoping for our... Vehicles, which will be transformed buses and or trailers, or hopefully both, will have two showers and a bathroom and a changing room and a closet with clothes that will be donated that must be in, you know, obviously decent condition, good condition. I want them all in good condition. And when we are dealing with these individuals who need showers, they will not be looked at as homeless. They will be guests, and the vehicles will be like walking into a nice hotel room. Any accommodation that we're going to be offering them, you or your next-door neighbor, anybody, would be happy to take a shower in there. We want them to feel like we feel. So that's what we're working on, and that's basically where we're at. And my goal would be to have a fleet that could service all the counties that need it in Southern California. And I got an email from one of my clients in Austin, Texas today, and she said, boy, they could use it too. So We'll see what happens. Um, I have a very good feeling, and we hope to launch the first vehicle and hit the streets in January of 2019. Super cool, man. Yeah, I get a little choked up talking about it. Have a sip. So that's what I'm working on, and I'm and I'm excited, and it's it's a huge undertaking. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of people out there that want to help. Well, here's what I think some people need to know. I'm sure there's some staggering numbers. Even when you think of Los Angeles, typically. Uh, I think automatically, like San Francisco, you think that there is a ridiculous homeless problem, which, of course, there is. There's even a homeless problem here in Ashland, (laughs) Oregon. And what you're doing is really tremendous and really gives them a break. However, what is what is the plan for Los Angeles to do something more in the in the realm to back that up with some low income housing and job development? Because once they're clean, they're back on the street does give them a temporary sense of dignity but then they're back where they started. I can speak to that. California has been given a significant amount of money. And when I say significant, that really means a lot of money. One of the programs that's been developed for Los Angeles County that was piloted in 
the state of Washington is the Los Angeles County is offering homeowners, single family homeowners, $300,000 to build a back house in their backyard for the homeless. And what happened in Washington is the name, you know, you agree to do that and your neighbors get scared or concerned about what, what kind of people are going to be coming in and, you know, what they're susceptible to. So in Washington, everybody on the block did it. And then it ended up becoming like a community or a village. And it worked out really well, so well, that that's something that Los Angeles is now trying to initiate. I have the statistics here. I have three sets of statistics. One is the city of Los Angeles and one is Los Angeles County. For 2018, and this census we saw that how this census data was obtained, it's completely legitimate. They had, a, they had so many people out there taking this information and all the stats are on the bottom. But in Los Angeles County, all persons that are unhealthed or homeless, we have sheltered, 13,369, and unsheltered, 39,826, for a total of 53,195 people that are homeless. What are the boundaries of L.A. It County? It's L.A. County, Long Beach, Pasadena, and Glendale. That's what this L.A. County says. At the bottom, it also says significance tested at the 95% confidence interval. Health and disability indicators are not mutually exclusive, prepared by Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority in May 2018, and data from 2018 Greater Los Angeles Point in Time Count conducted in January 2018. So right now, as of May 2018, the total homeless in the county of Los Angeles is 53,195. It is down 3% from last year. The city of Los Angeles sheltered is 8,402. Unsheltered, 23,114. Total homeless, 31,516. That's the city of Los Angeles. So in the city of Los Angeles alone, 31,516. And the county, 53,195. Those numbers are staggering. I'm proud to say that Mike Bonin, who's our city councilman, has been working at this very, very hard on behalf of my specific district. And we have the best results. We have uh, sheltered 141, unsheltered 1,900 for a total of 2,041. And our percent change from last year is down 25%. And that's in my specific district. That's fantastic. You know, it's funny. I saw this thing on Facebook today, and I don't know, everything is serendipitous in timing. There are these houses that build themselves in 10 minutes. Have you seen this on Facebook? No. There are these accordion-style mechanical devices that are dropped off like a pod, literally. And the whole home assembles itself on these hydraulics in 10 minutes. And these are houses. You drop this pod down, and then it just opens up into a house. And I'll send you a link to it because it absolutely blew my mind today. And I thought about you coming on the show today. And I thought about affordable housing. And of course, we as the foolish beings that we are, all the most important things that we need to do, we use this phrase of it's too expensive, which is foolishness. What's too expensive? To desalinate the ocean, to do all the things that are going to save ourselves. We say cost too much money, so we don't do the things that we need to do. This housing that I've found that was for whatever reason put in front of my face seems like such a reasonable mobile structurally sound thing that could happen quickly 
in dedicated places if some kind of uh, something could be agreed upon where there's more than just obviously this one specialized company building something like this. I mean, these things look amazing. They looked really cool. And literally in 10 minutes, there is a solid infrastructure with a beautiful home you could put people in within 10 minutes. So what things can we do temporarily right now, come up with agreements with builders to do this amazing thing that you see right in front of your face? I mean, there's things that we can do. We just have to pull the trigger and say they're worth the money to invest and then put a lot of people to work making these things. And then they could serve actually way more, of course, than the homeless. How they're presenting it now to me is making it so exclusive, it would be only affordable to some people. But I see that as a viable solution more than temporarily because they're movable. They fold up as quickly as they fold out. So in 10 minutes, if that house needs to be vacated, even think about that. And maybe the crazy places where people live, where they know there's going to be hurricanes, people live in the craziest places. And you also don't know uh, what's going to happen. These things look super solid. I'm not championing this specific company or anything. I just know we're talking about affordable housing. We're talking about, even in my community, there's a lot of people leaving Ashland because they cannot afford to live here anymore. And, uh, you know, the world is in flux. People are building tiny houses. The Japanese are living in shoeboxes. The idea of absolute need and necessity is starting to come to a head here. And as homeless population grows in the world, we're going to need to come up with more reasonable places actually for everybody to live. Right. Part of the initiative of this program that we're launching and trying to model ourselves after this Lava May program, which I respect and appreciate because they respect and appreciate, it's not just going into the streets and setting up and giving showers. It's going to homeless shelters and in front of places where they can get legal help that will welcome them and churches and other types of places. So it's not just about getting a shower. It's pulling together as professionals and resources where they could go in and take a shower and then maybe go inside and meet with, um, you know, meet with a counselor or meet with a legal person or meet with a doctor to get the meds that they need, whatever it might be. So I'm not doing this alone. And what I'm modeling, what I'm doing is, is after something that is that type of model. So it's not, it's not just about the shower. It is also about the housing and getting, just getting people what they need to self-sustain. I sent the link, I pulled that video up on YouTube and I just, quickly shot it over to Mike Bonin uh, just through his Facebook private message just to see if he's heard of it or if he's checked it out. So if he gets back to me with an answer, I'll certainly get back to you and let you know what, what his thoughts are. This beautiful gesture that will break down maybe any difficulty they're having that day or uh, had in recent moments to give them that break, people will be more approachable and malleable and more susceptible to positive suggestion. So in conjunction with you providing this incredible service, which will make them fundamentally happier than anything anybody could do other than giving them a proper home and something to do with their lives, uh, that what you're doing is those first steps of opening the possibility to a lot of things and showing that uh, just a simple gesture like this, which is obviously not simple, but in, in the retrospect of the universe, it is the simplest thing that we could do for people who would appreciate it the most and give them that quick foothold to potentially make new decisions because opportunities 
more than just a shower are being presented to them. Exactly. That's the goal. I'm happy that you're doing this work. I don't believe in pride, but I'm super stoked that it came to you through whatever way, whatever divine inspiration that planted the seed and you realize it's something that you could actually do that you're doing and that there's no way it actually can fail. And that's what's kind of beautiful about it is because when there is a certain level of intent and motive behind certain activities, they cannot fail. You cannot fail. I'm just a piece of the puzzle. I appreciate that. And it's like they say, it takes a village, right? So I'm happy to take the lead on this. And I, you know, I, I don't know why this was my calling, but it is what it is, and I'm happy to do it, and I'm excited to do it, and the feedback that I'm getting is all very positive, and the amount of help I'm, you know, that's being offered is so tremendous that you're probably right. It probably will go fantastic, and how can it go wrong? And I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm humbled, and I'm happy, and as soon as the, the website is up, and as soon as my 501c3 goes through, then I can start crowdfunding for the nonprofit and try and build up some money. The average cost per vehicle is about 100000 per year. So, you know, it's no small feat, but with the people I know and the tentacles I have, that should, that $100,000 should be a drop in the bucket. And my goal from 2019 to January 2020, like I said, is to have a fleet of at least four vehicles. But for now, I think I'm right on track, and I'm looking forward to this course that I'll be taking that will teach me more about this and how to do this. I mean, they were talking about we have to deal with black water and all sorts of grossness, and, you know, we need to handle that in a very compliant sense. So I want to do everything right, and I want to do it right the first time, and I have really good sources that help me through the way, and hopefully we will turn this into a village and people will find housing and feel better about themselves and get on the medications they need and, uh, you know, get back on their feet. That is my goal. I, I you know, I, I wish everybody was as fortunate as, as I am. It is 7.15 and I'm still at the office. I know you're being generous with your time and I haven't spoken to you since last year in November. So cool. Go say hello to your man and your dogs and your fish and whatever other shit you're taking care of there. Much love to you. I appreciate uh, you coming on the show and telling us what you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to share what's going on. And I hope everybody's doing their civic duty and giving back in any way that they can. And anybody who wants to be in Los Angeles and volunteer for the Power of a Shower, just give me a call. What's the name of your project? The Power of a Shower, Showering Hope with a Little Soap. Kick ass. Love you, sis. Love you, too. I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye for now. that's the show i hope you enjoyed it it was really fantastic to have these uh three wonderful women on the show all uh really incredible in their own right starting with my sister rachel sunday working on this project in la called the power of a shower Uh, we'll be checking in with rachel to get some updates i also want to thank uh, joanna friedlander from phoenix rising holistic therapy just a really nice lady also doing some magnificent work uh, helping people get back on their feet. And of course, uh, my friend Yu Yang, really a lovely woman, a fine painter, and uh, a big heart, and uh, just a, a nice lady. More wonderful friends that I have here in this community called Ashland, Oregon. 
I want to thank Arthur Davis from the Motels, who's going to be on the show recording the day after Father's Day. So next Monday, Martha Davis is going to be here on the show talking about her new album and all the stuff she's got going on over there at her farm with her ducks and her llamas and and things like that. I want to thank you so much, as always, for listening. Uh, There would be no show without you. So thanks again. I appreciate your listening and your support. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit Aaronsberg.com. That's A-R-I-N-S-B-E-R-G.com. And uh, go ahead and click on the uh, donate link there. And, uh, you know, be as generous as you see fit. I love doing the show. Uh, The guests are getting more exciting. Rich Reese, I got to hand it to him. He's really bringing me the goods. We're thinking maybe Tommy Two-Tone is going to be on the show. Maybe Jim Messina. He might be on the show. Who knows? I'm trying to get Richard Lewis to be on the show. Yeah, famed, legendary comedian. Richard Lewis, co-starring with Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm. All right. Thanks so much again for listening. Talk to you next time. This show is sponsored by Paris Green, a curated collection of incredible objects from around the world. Paris is always a good idea. 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon. Visit them online at Facebook. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44.
thanked a lot, Todd. 